Uh, so today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5, and there's a lot in this chapter, so we're not going to go through everything today. We're just going to really focus on one particular uh, facet of this chapter, because you're going to hear this, you've already heard it several times in Revelation, and it's going to be kind of repeated throughout Revelation, this theme of seven spirits, and uh, you're going to hear the seven spirits of God. Again, this is not something that we talk about a whole lot in church, because it's probably a little bit uncomfortable, and it's hard to explain in some sense. So I'll do the best I can here uh, this evening. But the seven spirits of God, um, I want you guys to think about this. It's actually not necessarily seven different spirits. It, it, in a sense, it can be. But really, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's seven facets of the Holy Spirit. So you know he talked about like the, the four creatures you know, last week? And each creature kind of represents some facet of God, potentially, or of Jesus Christ. It's kind of the same thing is true the seven spirits of God. Each one kind of represents a certain facet of the overarching Holy Spirit, and all of them together make the completion of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason is number seven. Don't you guys think about this? The reason is number seven is because seven in the Bible, it means completion. So if you have seven spirits of God, and you have all the spirits together, you have the complete spirit of God, the whole spirit in one. Um, and also, all throughout Revelation, using the number seven repeated, again, Revelation is considered like the end time prophecy, so everything is coming to completion, to an end. So it's a perfect ending, so number seven is repeated. Uh, you start, you see the number seven here in Revelation, when you go through the seven lampstands in Revelation. Remember you see the throne of heaven, and there's seven lamps that are burning with fire, fire blazing. It says those are the seven spirits of God. So you see it there in the seven spirits of God. And today we're going to see it again in a different form. So again, throughout Revelation, you see the seven spirits of God constantly kind of repeated. And, and, and again, it's, it's really a symbolism of the completion of the entire Holy Spirit. So I want to go through these today. I want to read off the verse. And I'll on. The verse says, in Revelation chapter 5. So it says this here. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, which is God, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So again, you see these seven is just constantly repeated throughout Revelation. Then I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now who is that? Who is he talking about? Who is he talking about there that's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David? Jesus, yeah. So, De so Jesus comes from the divinic root, um, and then he's also considered the lion of Judah. We have a lion as one of the animals, you know. Wait, who is crying? So John is crying, the one that's seeing this happen. Because remember, Revelation is like a vision that John has seen. So as John is brought up and he's watching this happen, he's crying because they have this scroll they have to open, and nobody's worthy to open it. And then one of the elders says, there's no need to cry. The line of Judah is going to come open in, which is Jesus. 
Now, here's what gets creepy, though. Um, now, listen. Now, it gets a little creepy, though. Now, here's, now, listen. Now, think about yourself and your human state today, like John was back then. Think about if you saw his neck image, how you would be at. So, listen, it says, it says, and I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the foreign creatures, and in the midst of all the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came, this, this lamb, and took the scroll out of the right hand of God who sat on the cross. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a heart and a golden bowl full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take, take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have been redeemed to us, uh, redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And it made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Then it says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands and thousands. So think about this. Tons of people around. And they're all saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and as such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Pretty dramatic scene in heaven there. Um, so again, if you're John, uh, in John's human state, you know, he's watching his emotional, he's crying. Now he's probably shocked because. He's not in the heavenly state like these people are, so he's not prepared to see all this, okay? And this is just totally mind-blowing to him. And so you see this lamb, this slain, okay? Yeah, so the lamb is slain, and it has seven... Yeah, it's... And it's got seven horns, okay? And then it's got... Seven little eyes. It could be thick eyes. It's got seven eyes. <laughs> okay. So, see, it's a pretty creepy lamb. Okay, this lamb is slain. It's probably bleeding. It's got seven horns, seven eyes, and it comes up and takes the scroll. It may not say that, but takes the scroll and it opens up the scroll. Okay. Um, all of this in Revelation, again, is imagery. Uh, it all represents things. And so it's not just some weird lamb under the scroll. Uh, and so the lamb is slain. Obviously, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And back in the back in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice what they called the perfect lamb. So it was a lamb without spot or blemish. And so they would find a lamb that was not diseased, had no spots or blemishes. They would count the sins of people. That would be bad. They would they would they would pray and put all their all their sins of people on this lamb and then kill it as a sacrifice to God as forgiveness of their sin. So when Jesus came, he, he considered the perfect lamb, because he lived life, he never sinned, he didn't, he didn't make mistakes, yet he sacrificed himself on the cross for all of our sins, 
so we can have salvation. So he is considered the lamp. This is Jesus here. But he again has seven horns and there's seven eyes. And it says it's what? What are those called? It's the spirits of God. The seven spirits of God. So, so like each one sees different things. So here's the, the the reason there's seven eyes uh, is if you think about the beast as well, there's tons of eyes all over them. All of that is basically to symbolize that God sees all, and He's all knowing. Um, and so this is kind of showing that Jesus is also the same as God here. Uh, you have a lot of images of the Trinity as well, and the seven spirits of God being the Holy Spirit. You see God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all kind of intertwined in this throne room here. Um, now, the seven eyes, it says, are the seven spirits of God. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, what are the seven spirits of God? And why do you keep saying that? And the seven spirits of God are actually listed in the Bible. And it's listed in Isaiah. You know, I want to turn to Isaiah real quick. My other phone. I can turn to it. So it's in Isaiah chapter 11, okay? Um, I'll read it off to you guys. This little small print here. Let's see. What is it? Uh, it's Isaiah chapter 11. So it's actually in the Old Testament. So this is pretty neat as well. It's actually listed in the Old Testament. So this is also kind of a Old Testament imagery coming back to life here in Revelation. In Isaiah chapter 11, let me read it off to you, okay? Y'all pay attention here to what the seven spirits are. <clears throat> it says, There shall come forth a rod and a stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And then it says, His delight is the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the size of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So it goes through the seven spirits of God are the spirit of the Lord. Y'all explain that. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and fear. So kind of odd you think about. Some of these are pretty intense. And this right here, if you have all of this, is the overarching Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has all of this. And so what I mean by that is if you look here, the Spirit of the Lord, if you look in Isaiah 61, 1, so again, you have you go back to Isaiah here, it says, the Spirit brings freedom. And, and uh, I'm sorry, actually, I'm sorry, let me read off Isaiah 61, 1. Exactly, not exactly that. Isaiah 61.1 says this right here. Okay, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken parted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then it keeps going on from there. But it says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is another facet of the Holy Spirit. And you guys have probably heard that in church, probably. The Spirit of the Lord is upon somebody. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. It also says in the Bible, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does that actually mean? Um, so the Spirit of the Lord, that's, that's, what, that's how we're talking about. It's like when the Spirit of the Lord is 
Yeah, so when the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, it, it, it's kind of like I said, a fact of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit uh, just comes upon you and is dwelling upon you uh, in a mighty way. And so basically, say you come up there to like preach a sermon, and you're just not sure what to say, and all of a sudden you just get this this knowledge and this wisdom that you didn't have before. Um, like, oh, I should talk about this. I should say this. That can sometimes be how the Spirit of the Lord works upon somebody. And also it could be that, you know, um, say you're in a situation and you're afraid you don't know what to say and somebody's pressuring you and, you know, you're in a dangerous situation and you have no idea how to get out of it and all of a sudden just this answer clear as day comes to your mind. It could be the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you or you're in a, you're in a dangerous situation all of a sudden you have peace that you just can't describe. And that can be how the Spirit of the Lord coming upon you. Uh, but the Spirit of the Lord, it brings freedom and it speaks life to broken hearts. So if the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you're going to speak life, you're going to speak things that, that are true, and you're going to have freedom in that. You're going to have, and then it goes on, the spirit of wisdom. What you have to think about this. In Luke 21, 15, it says, For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 2, 6. So the spirit of wisdom, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, when you speak live, when you start speaking, uh, you start doing things, you're going to do things in wisdom. You're going to do things that are wise, do things that are well thought through, do things that honor and glorify God. So the way you're living and acting right now is, is just chaotic and however you feel like you should act and doing things that you want to do well, well, the spirit of the Lord is not really resting upon you like it should be. You, know, you may have the Holy Spirit inside of you, maybe you're not connected with God like you should be, and the Spirit is not just totally dwelling you like it, like it really should. Because if it was, you would have that wisdom from the Lord coming through on how to act, what to say, what, what decisions to make, things like that. Um, and it even says here, your adversaries will not be able to withstand or contradict. Uh, so if you're speaking from the, from the Holy Spirit, they may try to contradict and all that, but they're never going to be able to withstand you think about God's word over 2,000 years, even though there's all kinds of people that are trying to speculate it now, it still stands today. Um, so it's kind of neat to think about that. And now what you have to think about the next one here, the spirit of understanding. Now this is pretty interesting here. In Hebrew, the root word used in Isaiah 11-2 for understanding means to distinguish between things in one's mind, to perceive and discern. Understanding Understanding is what gives you discernment. When you have understanding, you'll begin to see the following things in your life. When you have understanding, you'll be able to know what goes on behind the scenes. You'll be able to, to piece together things that are happening in life. You'll be able to perceive why people act the way they do. You'll find it easier to see people in situations with God's eyes and maintain His perspective. You'll be able to discern God's timing more easily. And, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, uh, and you have the spirit of understanding, you begin to discern what God's will for your life is. So discernment is a really, really hard thing for many, many Christians. And, and it requires a closeness with God. Because if you're not close with God, you're not going to have this part of the Holy Spirit. Because the closer you are to God, and the more you're connected with Him, the more you're abiding in Him, and you're trying to live for Him, the more you begin to see His will for your life. 
the more you begin to able to piece things together, you're able to understand more about the Bible. And somebody tells you something, instead of just taking it at face value, you can you can think about it a little bit deeper and start discerning is that true or is that not? But it only comes from a closeness with God and, and a relationship really strong with Him. But through that, you begin to have discernment. That's a that's an aspect of the Holy Spirit. And that's one thing in the Bible that says the Holy Spirit gives us is the spirit of understanding. And now. When you have discernment, you can then begin to counsel others. And this is the next kind of facet of the Holy Spirit. What do you, why do you, what do you think I mean by that? When you have discernment on things, you can counsel others. What do you think that means? So, when you have discernment in your life, and you're beginning to understand the Bible, you're understanding what it means, you're understanding, you know, God's will for your life and for humanity here, when you start having that discernment and wisdom, that's when you begin, you can begin to counsel others. Why, why, why do you think that would be the case? That's true. Yeah, why? That's true. And that's kind of why apologetics is a thing. They may ask you, why do you believe that? And if you have no answer to them, then part of it be like, why? Why? And then you have to explain that. God said, out of heaven, why? Yeah. You need to know that wisdom and knowledge. Yeah, the church every Sunday. That's true. Why? I like that. That's very good. That's good. That's very good. Yeah, so this is why, like, when people say that um, people are different levels of their walk with Christ, this is part of what that can look like. Um, because when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit, it says, comes upon you, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't instantly know every single thing about the Bible, okay? That's just not what happens. Um, when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, uh, He begins to teach you God's will, you begin to get this wisdom and discern that. But you're probably not going to be able to counsel somebody on how to walk with the Lord if you just gave your life to Christ because you're just learning how to do it. You know, you're, you're just not going to have to do it. You may be able to share with others about how to be saved, but as far as, like, different aspects of the, of the Christian life, that's going to be hard to do if you don't know it yourself. And so, as you grow in your faith, it's called sanctification. Saint. That's a big seminary word. Basically, sanctification means that you're growing more to the person God's created you to be. And, and you're growing in your spirituality. And this is what you're supposed to be doing all throughout life. Because none of us are ever going to know everything about God. Like I said, there's some things we can't know in Revelation. But we should be always trying to learn more, gain more wisdom, gain more understanding. And as we do that throughout life, we can counsel more, we can give better direction to others, we can help others, 
and we can serve God in, in a more powerful way. And so that's called sanctification. And that's why in the Bible it talks about, too, not being lukewarm, because you're not supposed to stay at one level. When you become a Christian, you're not supposed to just stay at that level. You're supposed to continue to grow in your faith and knowledge and, and become a better and a deeper disciple of Christ uh, as you go through life. A more sought-out disciple. And okay, so um, counseling here also says, in Isaiah 11, 3 through 4, it says, you counsel, and listen to this. I want you guys to really listen to this, how you counsel. Because many churches mess this one up here. Okay? It says, um, and you make him quick of understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. So, counseling with discernment, if you want to counsel with discernment, it means you don't go off of what you see and hear. This is a terrible mistake in counseling. When, um, and this, is, this happens in a lot of society today with news. When a news story breaks, people see something about the news story, they hear what the people are saying on TV, and they immediately jump to conclusions about this person did this, 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 this. And we're all falling deaf because of human nature. But counseling with discernment means you look past what you originally, right, don't look at what you just see here. Dive deeper than that and try to find out what is the truth in God's word, what are the real facts about it, what's the deeper issue of the heart that's going on. Because whatever you see and hear off the bat, a lot of times is not what's truly, what's truly happening. Uh, and a lot of these news stories you hear today about you know, all these shootings and things like that, you know, the person they originally think was this horrible, terrible person, you know, after they get all the facts together and they find out the rest of the evidence, they realize that person didn't do anything wrong. You know, and all of a sudden people marred this person for weeks and they had no idea about the evidence of the actual case. And so counseling with discernment means, like it says in the Bible, you don't just look at don't just look at what you see and what you hear, you dive deeper than that. You know, go deeper than what you just see and hear. Find out the facts, find out the heart issue, find out what's really going on, and don't just take people's word for it. And examine it through God's word first. And it also says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Counseling is correcting with grace, truth, and love. It involves spiritual maturity, uh, discernment, and wisdom. And that's why, again, as you grow and deepen your faith with Christ, this kind of comes at a later stage. Now, next is the spirit of power. Now, the spirit of power, I think all of us would say we probably want some kind of power, you know, and, and we like to have control over things. But it says this here in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will have witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, power from the Spirit gives you strength and confidence to do the will that God is calling you to do. So think about this. If God calls Wyatt to go to Haiti um, and preach to the children and on the streets in Haiti, okay, it's probably going to be a pretty rough environment. There's going to be a lot of culture you don't know, a lot about the land. And that's going to be kind of scary. But if God calls you to do that, and you believe this is truly my mission and my calling from God, 
then the Holy Spirit will give you the power to do that. He'll give you the confidence. He'll give you the strength to do things you couldn't, you didn't think were possible before. You think about in the Bible like Moses. Moses told God, I'm not going to lead the Israelites. I'm not, I'm not a leader. I don't have that kind of, I don't speak well. That's not my thing. And God said, if you follow me, I'll give you the power to do so. And Moses became one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. One, because Moses was some extra crazy, awesome guy, it's because the Holy Spirit gave him the power to do that. He did some errand as well to help him speak. Yeah, yeah. and that also gave him some confidence as well. Um, and so I want you guys to think about this, though. In your life today, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to call each of different things. But when the Holy Spirit calls you to do something, if you don't think you can do it because you're not smart enough, or you're not athletic enough, or maybe you're shy, or you don't have this, 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 remember that God doesn't need you to have all these things before he calls you to do something. God will equip you along the way. God doesn't necessarily call you equipped. He equips the call. And so if you're called to do something, God's going to give you the power from the Holy Spirit to accomplish that task. He's going to give you that confidence and that strength and that wisdom and discernment so you can counsel and go forth and do His will. And I think that's a really encouragement to us today because myself included, I have my fault everybody else does. And some God calls me to things or calls me to speak. I'm like, oh, can I really say that or can I really do that? And I don't know, God, and I get nervous. And then I pray to God that God please give me the strength and the power to do this. Or well, times will give me a peace that surpasses all understanding and this confidence I didn't have before and I'm able to go forth and do that. And the last two are really important, though, as you kind of conclude here, the spirit of knowledge. And the spirit of knowledge, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare the things that are to come. And John saying that was just the same John here in uh, Revelation. That's uh, my understanding. So, is it, so I believe the Holy Spirit helps you understand God's word and how it applies to your life and also the world today. This will also enable you to correctly teach and preach God's words to others. And you have the spirit of knowledge and you, you know the truth. You understand how to interpret God's word correctly. You understand what things you should do and shouldn't do. This is very similar to understanding, just a little bit different with discernment there. Then you can more accurately preach and teach the word to others. And lastly is this one. This one right here really freaks people out because it's the spirit of fear of the Lord. And I was like, well, we shouldn't fear. You know, God tells us we don't have a spirit of fear. And here's the thing. Fear of the Lord can also basically be reverence. Which reverence means like basically you hold a high regard as like God is above me. I'm never going to be at that level. I'm not going to try to be at that level. So when you have the fear of the Lord, that means you try to realize everything that he can do just easily. Yeah, so it's kind of like um, like this. Like, say you, uh, if you have the fear of the Lord, you also know that God gives you all this stuff. He can also take away, and you don't technically deserve any of it. And so you know that, so it's also, it's also what this is, it's, it's submission to God. It's submission to God. And here's why this is so important. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
and, and you're doing things for God, and you feel the Holy Spirit more present in your life, and you're doing really powerful things for God's kingdom, it can be very easy to think that, oh, this is me. Like, I'm awesome. Like, I can preach this, I can do this, I can do this. And it's very easy to get prideful and to get cocky. And so this last spirit here of the completion of the Holy Spirit is to make sure you don't get that way. Know that everything you have is from God and stay humble. If you don't stay humble, you're going to lose the rest of this. And so it's to stay humble and submit to God. And I put it here in Psalm 111.10. Now, I want you guys to listen to Psalm 111.10. This is really interesting here. Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So when you fear the Lord, you remain humble and obedient to him. This will allow you to continue to serve him faithfully and look to him for guidance in all things. And that's when the real wisdom and understanding of serving comes into play. Um, so, I want you guys to think about today the seven spirits of God. Do you have these in your life? Are these present in your life today? And if they're not, what can you do to begin getting closer to God? Strengthening that relationship so you can have this fullness of the Holy Spirit here. And really start to be the person God's calling you to be. So I'll pray for us. We'll have some talks, discussion here, and then we'll close. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for just wisdom, understanding, knowledge, truth, guidance, peace. Um, and, and fear from you, God, as well. Reverence in you. God, we know that nothing can happen outside of your control. So God, I actually humbly submit to you. Whatever you're calling us to do, let us do it with confidence and strength, knowing that you're going to be with us through it all. Let us glorify and praise you in all we do. In your holy and precious name we pray, God. Amen. We pause this real quick.